This is John Haltzman, and welcome to the latest edition of The Culture, where we look at the things that really matter. And we're making our way through the great spaghetti westerns. We had a very well-received beginning with Fistful of Dollars. I'm so glad so many of you in our community liked it. And today we have maybe what is the best of the Dollars trilogy, my favorite, I think, though I love them all dearly, for a few dollars more. And whereas Fistful tends to get credit for being the original, this is where lightning landed in the bottle. The miracle of this movie on a low-budget, B-grade Italian film director nobody'd heard of, striking gold and creating a whole new genre of filmmaking. And it's rightly given credit for the garage band punk rock qualities of Fistful. And on the other hand, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly is probably the best known of the Dollars trilogy. This is the one the Americans really came to love. It's operatic. It's Verdi-like. It's excessive, but it's also passionate and gigantic in scale. But of the three, I think I'd put my money on for a few dollars more. Again, seen too often as the easily overlooked ugly stepsister of the Dollars trilogy, when really it's not. Because really for a few dollars more is where we get to the key themes of the Spaghetti Westerns. Where the Old West, Old West of Hollywood, meets the New West of the Spaghetti Westerns. And this is seen in the two archetypes of Manco, or the man with no name, the Clint Eastwood character, Manco means lefty, by the way, and Colonel Douglas Mortimer, Lee Van Cleef, playing old Hollywood, the old Western hero. And the anti-hero and the hero collide in a fascinating bouillabaisse, where they both come out better than they would without the other. And that's really the miracle of this one. There was a great rush to get for a few dollars more out, because Fistful of Dollars in 1964 had become the most successful Italian movie ever made, the top grossing Italian movie ever made up until that time, though for a few dollars more was soon to eclipse it. So immediately Leone went back to America, begged Clint Eastwood to come back, this time instead of this being a summer project for Clint, where he would end his career gracefully having a little bit of spending money in Europe, instead of $15,000, Leone has to give him what was then the princely sum of $50,000. But he needs a new second lead because he, this old Hollywood character has to come into being. Originally, Charles Bronson, a significant Hollywood star at the time, was offered the part, but he again turned Leone down, saying, it's too like Fistful of Dollars. And so in desperation, Leone turns to a very old name and actually saves the movie. I don't think Bronson who is great, by the way, in Once Upon a Time in America, would have been very good and for a few dollars more. You need the old Western Hollywood archetype. And he gets that in the personification of Lee Van Cleef, who had made quite a career as a Hollywood baddie in 1940s and 1950s films. This was the guy who tended to be killed at the end of the first reel with a very distinctive face. Most famously, he'd been in High Noon with Grace Kelly and Gary Cooper, the classic Western, and had been gunned down by Cooper. But his face was instantly recognizable to most of the Western world and everyone in America. And for Leone, who was a devoted and avid fan of old Hollywood Westerns, Van Cleef stood not just for himself, but for the archetype of that missing era. And so by getting Van Cleef on board, whose career was entirely over, he was living in a, a, a fleabag old rundown hotel when Leone showed up promising him $15,000. Van Cleef, by the way, went on because of the great success of For a Few Dollars More to become a staple of Italian cinema for the next 10 years, resurrecting his career. In fact, Leone did for Eastwood and Van Cleef what Tarantino did 
for people like Pam Greer and most famously John Travolta, resurrecting old Hollywood archetypes, playing with those archetypes and using them in creating something entirely new. And Tarantino followed honorably in Leone's footsteps in doing this. But the key to for a few dollars more is this clash of the old and the new archetype. And it starts right off the bat. Clint and Van Cleef are bounty hunters. Um, and bounty hunters in most standard old Hollywood westerns are the lowest to the low. These are hyenas who live off the carcasses of greater creatures. And this, this was people who would be at the lowest moral repute. But already there are signs and hints that Colonel Mortimer is more for this. For one thing, he has a tremendously good war record as a Confederate colonel where he fought with great bravery and honor, and this is passed along to Manco. So he's probably more than just this bottom feeder to begin with. And there are hints to Van Cleef being a more honorable man. But one of the great things of the film is how you get the old and the new running into each other. You have the deeply moral Van Cleef and the seemingly amoral Clint coming into contact with each other, but neither are quite what they seem. Again, Leone's playing with these tropes. Van Cleef on the surface is incredibly well prepared. He's a professional, whereas Clint just makes things up as he goes along and is a genius of improvisation and natural talent. Van Cleef treats his job like a craftsman. He has this impressive arsenal of weaponry. He's prepared for literally everything that happens to the point that he has acid to break into a safe, just happens to have it with him. And so he's the professional and Clint seems the gifted amateur. But in the end, that they're far more than this. They join forces to fight yet again Jean-Maria Volante, so memorable as the baddie in Fistful of Dollars. Leone brings him back again. Again, Leone liked his stock characters. And John Maria Villani this time plays El Indio, that the main baddie yet again. This would be his last performance, Volante, with Leone. They had a falling out during the making of For a Few Dollars More because the styles and the contrasts were so important to Fistful's success. Volante is so over the top, almost ham acting in American style, Verdi like, operatic. And Clint is so minimalist in his acting, so California laid back cool. And this contrast and style worked brilliantly. But if anything, Leone thought that Villani was even more operatic and for a few dollars more. So he had him do take after take after take to try to tire him out so he could get something he could work with. And this eventually would drive the volatile Villani round the bend. And so he didn't want to make another one. He also became very close to the Red Brigades. He was actually involved with far-left terrorists in Italy and hated filming in fascist Spain. And so although he was paid well and gives a fantastic performance as El Indio, this is a marriage with Leone that's, not, that's really at its last thing. But he goes out in style, and El Indio is a fascinating character. Yet again, we have the international financing. We have an Italian director, two American leads, the main baddie is an Italian West German funding, and the film is made in Spain. And this replication of the internationalism that made the first Spaghetti Western so successful works again and brilliantly. It's the second, as I said, in the Dollars trilogy, um, and the two joined forces to, to go after El India, El Indio, who's escaped from prison with his gang. Uh, it's very clear, though, that El Indio is different than Ramon, who was a the leader of the gang in Fistful of Dollars. El Indio goes around the bend and begins to emotionally and psychologically fragment, particularly their flashbacks where he's haunted by one of his acts of no good. He murders a young uh, honeymoon couple, killing the husband and sexually assaulting the new, the new bride who kills herself. 
in the act of him raping her, and he rips the watch, the pocket watch that she's given to her new husband, off the dead body and plays it over and over again. And her killing herself and the violence of that act based on what he'd done to them is something that haunts him. And it's somewhat amusing scene to try to escape from this. He doesn't drink, but actually takes what seems to be marijuana. Now, the effects of this marijuana are unlike marijuana's effects at any time. But remember, this was made in 1965. It seems more like the effects of angel dust on someone. It's a psychotropic drug, certainly LSD. Um, and the drug wipes out the memory of El Indio so he can bear to be alive. But at the time, they use pot, which was very daring for the time as his drug of choice. But this is the first time this is seen in mainstream cinema and was certainly daring for the time. But the pocket watch and the theme that Morricone used is played over and over again as a sign of both El Indio's obsession and then later links it to the story of Colonel Mortimer through music done almost uniquely. The great link between Morricone and the soundtrack and Leone is even greater. These two kindergarten schoolmates are so in sync that perhaps this reaches its height in this movie. Um, again, the two have to work together to try to stop the liberated El Indio, who goes and robs the bank at El Paso, stealing what seems to them a, a princely sum of around a million dollars. They're going to work from the inside and the outside, according to Mortimer's plan. He tracks the gang while Clint keeps track of the gang from the inside. During the raid at El Paso, Clint is sent out, where he kills three of the gang, is wounded by Mortimer, not much to his liking, so his story is real and says everyone's been shot up, but I've made it back. Then Mortimer comes upon them as though he didn't know anyone, offers for a cut to use acid to open up the box, and the strong box is open, the money is put aside for El Indio, and Clint and Mortimer decide to steal it. In the process of stealing it, inevitably, they're captured where you have another of one of the gratuitous torture scenes that we talked about with Fistful of Dollars. And Leone, again, traces this back to his tradition of growing up on the German occupation, that everyone was either a partisan or a collaborator with the Nazis, that surviving torture and not giving away names was something deeply seared into his consciousness. And yet again, he tortures Clint to the point that he should be dead, but instead Clint bravely doesn't speak. And then El Indio really begins to lose it, having been smoking his psychotropic drug and increasingly haunted by what he did to the young honeymoon couple, he starts killing his own gang members, ostensibly to take a greater cut, but more almost for the nihilism of doing so. He allows the two bonnie hunters to escape and begins knocking his gang off one by one. Only one member of the gang, the shrewd groggy, realizes what he's doing and forces him to admit it, which he does, but just at the moment he's about to get retribution, Mortimer and Clint come banging on the door and there's the inevitable shootout where Groggy is forced to work with El Indio. And in the end, what is revealed, and yes, this is indeed something that will spoil the film, so if you haven't seen it, cover your ears for the next 10 seconds. Mortimer has an equal pocket watch to that of El Indio. In fact, they have the same watch with the same tune, that they had bought two watches, one for the husband and one for the wife. And Clint sees this. As the gun is shot out of by El Indio out of Mortimer's hands, Clint covers Mortimer, gives him the gun, and says, now we begin. And the wonderful ending scene for Fistful of Dollars, which seemed to stretch on for infinity, probably about 10 minutes in time, is made even longer in this version, where the two of them stare at each other 
the mariachi music plays. It's a degeo is the name of the song that Morricone plays. And a degeo is a Mexican funeral dirge. And this is played at full volume with trumpet mariachi band playing, giving it a true operatic, wonderful feel. The music is such a key part of the spaghetti westerns. And as they face each other, they have a shootout. And at the end, of course, Mortimer kills El Indio, reclaims the watch. And inside you see the picture of the girl who Clint says, I can see a likeness between the two. Mortimer says there would be between a brother and a sister. And the beautiful laconic use of language here. This is the only line connecting the dialogue. That Mortimer is hunting El Indio not to get rich and not for amoral reasons, but for old Hollywood reasons, to avenge his sister for right and wrong, to see that bad is punished in an Old Testament way and good is upheld. It's the only line linking the film that, of course, there's a likeness between a brother and a sister. He regains the watch. Clint, who's shown his nobility by giving Mortimer a fighting chance, is rewarded by the bodies of the entire dead gang and El Indio, including a last-minute groggy who isn't dead but wounded. And when Clint's counting, he again gets it wrong, and now the counting works out as old man, as he affectionately calls Colonel Mortimer, uh, watches from behind. Mortimer is the one who goes off into the sunset in typical old Hollywood fashion. This is where the playing with the tropes separates, and you have honor and homage paid to Lee Van Cleef in the old-style Western as he goes off literally into the sunset, as so many Hollywood heroes have, while Clint, being the new style, more immoral, more mercantilist, commercial bounty hunter, takes the fortune away. Cut to the end of the movie. And this worked brilliantly. Um, it's fantastic to see. Um, and what I really like about it is it's far more complicated emotionally and intellectually with this old and new Hollywood Western trope played against each other in the archetypes of Clint and Van Cleef, who are perfect archetypes. We're born to be archetypes. It's more complex than the first one, but more elegant and less bloviated than the last. So it's more complicated and emotionally enriching than Fistful of Dollars, but more compact, suspenseful, and less bloviated than The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, which is to follow immediately upon this one. Again, a gigantic success at the time, the number one grossing film of all time in both Italy and Spain and on the French top 10 list that year. In 1967, when all the Man With No Name trilogy come out at the same time, it, of course, does remarkably well in the States as well and submits uh, Clint to being an international star. It confirms that that happening. But the score is really the key to it, that even better than the first one, the degeo that Morricone uses to announce the stakes involved and the pocket watch, the theme, that each character has this theme and the pocket watches actually unite the plot rather than words. Music has never been used to such effect in film and perhaps never again as Morricone's use of for, for a few dollars more. I think that's why it's just an absolutely fantastic movie. As, as Roger Ebert said, Lee Van Cleef looks like a weary version of Clark Gable. He even looks the part of classic old Hollywood, where Clint has never been more laconic, never better than in this, looking like the James Bond Western hero that he's become. But he's still not amoral. He's sympathetic and even affectionate toward Lee Van Cleef and to the goals of an old Hollywood. He may not believe that the world works in the way that Van Cleef wants it to, but he certainly wants Van Cleef to win and to have a chance to win. And that's where there is this moral center. Often Leone is accused of being amoral at the time. New York Times 
a reviewer, Bowsley Crowther, often wrong, I think, looked at this very narrowly and said, this is an amoral Western. Far from it, Clint may be amoral, but in his amorality and believing the world is amoral, he still wants the deeply moral Colonel Mortimer to prevail. And that's what makes this really interesting. Old Hollywood and New Hollywood have more in common than they care to admit. And New Hollywood may talk a tough game, a cynical game, but beneath it all, they both live under Hemingway's adage that courage is simply grace under pressure. And you really see that in this movie, that Mortimer understands and respects that Cliff has, Clint has to make his way in the world, understands his commercial seeming amorality, and Clint understands Mortimer. And in essence, it's a buddy movie between old Hollywood and new Hollywood in the Western. They subvert each other, they take gentle digs at each other, but they come out shooting together. And that unity at the end of playing with the tropes is what makes for a few dollars more. My favorite, because you have Leone at the height of his craft and Morricone making music matter more than it ever has in film or maybe ever would again. Please do see this one, as we said for the first one. They are all great movies, but give it a look again, and I think, like me, it will open your eyes. Hope you enjoyed this, this version of the culture. For those of you who haven't, and so many of you have, and we're very grateful, please do subscribe. Next week, we are on to the final in the Dollars Trilogy, which is The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. And then we will do also Once Upon a Time in the West, which may be even better than the Dollars Trilogy, as from the mid to late 60s, Leone was in a zone of his own, creating a type of genre that is almost unique and certainly bears thinking about. After that, we'll probably move on to albums that you ought to know. I think Arthur Lee and Love's Forever Changes will be our first look. And then we're going to go back to authors, probably a look at why Raymond Chandler matters. So five or six culture things already planned. Very excited this is going so well. Thrilled our community likes it. And on to the next.